All right. Good morning, everybody. Glad you guys braved the elements and uh, came out and joined us today. The few, the proud, right? All right. Well, I want to start out today uh, just sharing a story with you. I remember a number of years ago, I don't know, maybe six, eight years ago, something like that. uh, I was working for... uh, uh, kind of our association of churches part-time doing some church planning stuff with them and uh, and kind of as a Christmas party, a Christmas kind of thing, they took us all out uh, to Madison, Wisconsin to a uh, symphony and watched a Christmas concert and I have to say, it was spectacular. Uh, it was one of the best concerts I've like like that I've probably ever been to. They had uh, they had a phenomenal symphony that, that played some awesome stuff, but in addition they had three different choirs. They had a children's choir, they had a, a regular sort of adult choir, and then they had a gospel choir. And uh, it was an amazing concert. It was one of those times that even just the just the the beauty of the music I was actually moved to tears and that doesn't happen all that often for me but I was like it was amazing kind of thing but there was one moment that sort of stood out to me uh, I remember they had this this time at the end where they had all three choirs come back out together they had the symphony they had this thing and then they and they invited uh, the audience to kind of sing with them some Christmas carols some Christmas songs and I remember there's this awesome uh, moment when they started singing joy to the world and everybody stood on their feet and they're singing and the sound was like, I mean, I don't know, several thousand people would fit in this uh, arena or whatever, plus all these uh, choirs and the symphony. It was amazing. Just the sound was awesome. And there, it's a full on kind of thing. And everybody's, you know, singing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And you get done, get to this big ending and the crowd just goes nuts. Everybody's applauding. And it's, ah, right. I mean, it's, it's that kind of a thing. And, uh, and I was, I mean, I was worshiping. I was having a blast actually just enjoying it and it was uh, it was amazing and, and I'm clapping and all of a sudden it starts to dawn on me as the uh, conductor is up front right and, and what does a conductor do at the end of it thank you right thank you thank you and he and he points to the choir and they all take a bow and the symphony and they're all taking it and it starts to occur to me that what we're clapping for is not the one that we just were worshiping it was not the not the fact that the savior of the world, God himself had actually come down to this world. But who are we clapping for? The performers, right? We were saying, oh, great job. And of course, is there anything wrong with clapping for a good performance? No, but it's, it, it was just such a stark contrast. And I thought, you know what? Here we are, thousands of us. I bet the majority of people in the crowd had missed what we were singing about and instead applauded the performers. And I thought, oh my gosh, they missed it. The biggest moment in human history, right? God himself coming down for us to be with us, right? To, to, uh, to walk with us and among us and to come and live inside of us. And we missed it. I share that this morning because I wonder uh, how often that happens to us as well. How often that happens that uh, we miss out on what this season is really all about. We are here today at the beginning of Christmas week, right? The next uh, week, we'll have all the hubbub and the festivities. Some of us have already started to have Christmas parties and celebrations and family gatherings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And it's a a crazy week. In fact, uh, I read some psychologists this week that were saying it's actually the most stress-filled week of the year for us. And I I get it, right? Because it's crazy. I mean, we are finishing up present buying. How many of you have finished all your Christmas presents? Christmas buying, Christmas shopping. How many of us haven't? 
Yeah, those are my people right there. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. But right there, so there's the stress like, oh my gosh, we've only got a few days. We got to get these things purchased. We got to prepare meals. We got to get to family functions. We're traveling. We're doing all these kind of things. And it's stressful and it's crazy. <coughs> Excuse me. It's stressful and it's crazy. And it's so easy for us, I think, in the midst of all the, all the hubbub and all the stress and all the events to miss out on what, it, what, what this whole season is supposed to really be about. And so this morning, I'm taking just a couple of minutes, um, and I want us to, to focus back in and just be reminded once again um, on what this season is all about. It's God coming down to be with us and to live in us. We are on our, on our third and final week of a series that we've been doing uh, at Ignite called In the Meantime, Waiting on God to Show Up. And this whole series has been addressing times in our lives when we have been praying and hoping and waiting, but for whatever reason, God doesn't seem to come through or show up uh, in our timeline, right? In the ways that we wanted him to. And sometimes it can seem as though God's late. Sometimes God doesn't seem to cooperate with our plans. And sometimes uh, even God uh, seems a little distant and feels a little distant. Dis, uh, a little distant. And so we're spending these uh, few weeks leading up to Christmas. Again, this is the final week. But we've been looking at the Christmas story and other passages from the Bible and, and kind of reflecting on and talking about waiting on God in those times. Today, I want us to zero in on this whole topic of waiting when God seems distant, because there are times, I think if we're honest, there are times for all of us, right, where this is the case, where God seems distant. There are times when we uh, are praying our, our guts out and our heads off, and it feels like our prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and coming back down. There are times in our lives when, for whatever reason, God just seems absent and we're looking around and we're like, God, why aren't you coming through? Why aren't you answering? Why aren't you speaking in ways that I I have seen and experienced you do so in the past, but you're not coming through for me in the present the way I expected? There are times for all of us when, uh, for whatever reason, circumstances are going on in our lives that leave us just wondering if God has abandoned us, if he is with us or not. And what strikes me as interesting is even though that can be our experience and that can be the kinds of thoughts and feelings that run through our hearts and our minds, when I read through the Christmas story, I get a very, very different picture a picture from the Bible that that, that seems to communicate it, even scream in our direction time and again, uh, that God is with us, that he is present. Even when he doesn't come through the way we want, he is present. Even when we can't necessarily hear him speaking above all the noise and the chaos of the season, he is present. He is with us. And so today, uh, I want us to kind of zero in on that because that, even if we don't feel it, that, the Bible says, is the reality that God is with us. I'm going to start out just, I want you to listen to the words of prophet, the the prophet Isaiah, uh, just one of dozens of prophecies that were written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ that sort of give a blueprint and, and a snapshot of who this Messiah, who this the savior is going to be and what he looks like, where he's going to be born, all that kind of stuff. But this is written about 700 years before the birth of Christ. It comes from Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14 says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. God was coming to visit our planet. And he was coming to make his home with us and in us. 
he was coming to be with us. You know, I, uh, I've actually, uh, for years, I've enjoyed art, which is sort of an unusual thing. It wasn't the case uh, early on in my lifetime, but I took a, an art history class in college, and then I went and lived in uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, which has one of the greatest art collections in the world, and have actually been a little bit fascinated by um, different genres and different eras of art throughout history. But there's one painting that's always sort of caught my attention. It's by Michelangelo. It's on the, it's on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and it, it portrays God on the right side there, reaching out to, and, and the, the person on the left is supposed to be Adam. It's supposed to be sort of the representative man. Uh, and, and this week I read an article uh, by John Ortberg that was talking about this masterpiece, and it just piqued my curiosity again. I thought it was some great stuff for our topic today. And so I want to share with you what he says uh, about this painting. He says, if you look carefully at the painting, you notice that the figure of God is extended towards the man with great drive. He twists his body to move in as close as he can to the man. God's head is turned towards the man and his gaze is fixed on him. God's arm is stretched out. His index finger is extended straight forward. Every muscle is taut. He is rushing towards Adam on a cloud, one of the chariots of heaven propelled by the angels. It looks as if even in the midst of the splendor of all creation, God's entire being is wrapped up in his impatient desire to close the gap between him and the man. He can't wait. His hand comes within within a hair's breadth uh, of the hand of man. The painting is traditionally called the creation of Adam, but some scholars say it should be called the endowment of Adam. For Adam has already been given physical life. His eyes are already open. He's already conscious. He is being offered life with God. All of man's potential, physical and spiritual, is contained in this one timeless moment, one art historian writes. Apparently, one of the messages that Michelangelo wanted to convey is God's relentless determination to reach out to and to be with the person that he has created. God is as close as he can be. But having come that close, he allows just a little bit of distance, just a little bit of space so that Adam can choose. He waits for Adam to make his move. Adam is more difficult to interpret in this painting, isn't he? I mean, his arm is is partially extended towards God, but his body sort of reclines in a lazy pose, leaning backwards as if he has no real interest in making a connection with God. Maybe he assumes that God, uh, having come this far, will close the gap. Maybe he's indifferent to the possibility of touching his creator. Maybe he lacks the strength. But all it would have taken is for him to lift a finger. The fresco took Michelangelo four years of intense labor. The physical demands were torturous to him because he was forced to look upward for hours and hours and hours while painting. He eventually couldn't read normally without putting something at arm's length above his head. (laughs) One night, exhausted by his work, alone with his doubts, discouraged by a project that was too great for him, he wrote in his journal one single sentence, I am no painter, he said. And yet for nearly half a millennia, this picture has spoken of God's great desire to be with human beings. uh, That he has made in his own image. Perhaps Michelangelo was not alone in this work after all, Ortberg writes. Perhaps the God who was so near to Adam was near to Michelangelo as well, at work in his mind and his eyes and with his brushes. This picture reminds us that God is closer than we ever dared imagine. 
He is never further than a prayer away. All that it takes is the smallest effort, the lifting of a finger. Every moment, this moment right now, it's, the, it's that one timeless moment of divine endowment of life with God and you and I are invited. As you read through God's book, I have to say, uh, it's filled with sort of the everywhereness of God. One passage says that the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Throughout God's book, the Lord speaks, God speaks, God busts in through things like burning bushes or braying donkeys. He sends messages through storms and rainbows and earthquakes and dreams. And sometimes even with a still small voice, the Bible describes he speaks uh, in the words of Garrison Keillor. He says, in ordinary things like cooking and small talk, through storytelling and making love, through fishing and tending animals and sweet corn and flowers, through sport, music, books, and raising kids, all the places where the gravy soaks in grace and shines through. The story of the Bible isn't primarily about our great pursuit of God, but it's exactly the opposite. It's of God's great pursuit of us to the great lengths that he would go to, to come after us, to be with us, to do life with us. It's page after page after page of God's book speaks to this. As I was thinking about that this week, I was just, I found myself wondering, what if it's true? What if, what if that really is God's desire? What if this book really is page after page after page of God's pursuit of you and of me? What if more than anything else, God's desire is for us to live with him and be with him and follow him and live in relationship with him? What if he is that close that he's reaching out to us that the smallest moment, just the, the littlest act of faith on our part could connect us to the living God? What if God really is the Emmanuel, the God who is with us? What if he's not some far off, aloof God, but what if he really is present what if we could really know him and walk with him and follow him and love him and, I don't know, be filled with him? What if it's true? What if this whole Christmas season really is sort of a divine reminder of God's desire and tireless effort to be with you and with me? Today, in the time we've got left, I just want to read through the Christmas story. We read this uh, out of Matthew a couple weeks ago when we kind of focused in uh, uh, at that time on uh, Joseph, but I want us to focus on the last part of it. And I just, as we read it, I just want you to want to ask the question, what if this really is God's desire? What if God really is present in speaking and making himself known to those who would simply lift a finger, to those who would simply pray a prayer and stop and turn Godward? Could it be that he's present? Could it be that he really is who he says he is in this story? Let me read it, uh, Matthew 1, 18 through 23, and we'll focus in again at the end. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about, the promised one came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son 
and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, which we read earlier. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The baby that was to be born was called and was to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the next couple minutes, I'm just going to kind of unpack what that means a little bit and talk about the significance of Christ coming as the Emmanuel of God with us and what that means for us. I'm just going to go through some of these rapid fire. But the first thing that's uh, maybe kind of a duh statement, but it's a reminder that you and I are not alone. I've shared with you before, there's some uh, a, a big research project that was done at the University of Minnesota a number of years ago, back in the day when pagers were sort of in vogue. And so, uh, they gave thousands of people across the country pagers and they would at random times they would page people and they wanted them at that moment they had to record what it was what emotion it was that they were feeling at that exact moment and then they gathered all the data together they compiled it and uh, there was one clear feeling one feeling that was uh, clearly head and shoulders above every other feeling that people experience on a regular basis and the feeling is loneliness the data found even close, but the data found that people feel, Americans feel lonely more than any other feeling. And today, as we think about the significance of the Emmanuel, part of what that means for you and me is that you and I do not have to be alone because the God of the universe has come and he has visited our planet and he has made his presence available to you and to me. He came to be with us. He came to be in relationship with you and with me. Let me read a couple of different places in scripture that kind of reiterate this. This is Jesus talking here. John 1, uh, 1, 1 uh, through 14 uh, comes. It's a little bit different take on the whole Christmas story, but it puts, uh, John, the writer, puts it this way. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, this is all kind of fancy code, but he's talking, it becomes clear in a minute, but the word, when you, when you read that, you should think Jesus, okay? So in the beginning was Jesus, right? And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning, And it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, made his dwelling among us. Think about that statement. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John chapter one tells us that Jesus, it's a story of Jesus coming to dwell among us, to be with us. He came and visited our planet and made his dwelling among us. God in the flesh but lest we think this is just something that he did 2,000 years ago, let's, let's look at a couple others. Matthew 28, uh, Jesus makes it abundantly clear here. He says, sure, he says to his followers and to those who would come after, he says, and surely I am with you always. I will be with you and I am with you always to the very end of the age, to the end of time, he's saying, to the end of this, this era, I will be with you. John 14, 16 through 18. Again, this is Jesus uh, talking. He says, and I will ask the Father and the Father will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you. What's that word say? Forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you. Can I get the picture of what he's saying here? God's desire is that we would not, that he would not only be sort of be with us, but that he would actually come and take up residence in our lives. 
The living God came as the Emmanuel to be in relationship with you and with me, to do life with us, to speak to you and to hear from you, to guide you and lead you, to bring you close, to bring his power to bear in your life. Through the life and death and the resurrection of Christ, you and I can come back into that right, direct relationship with God. Among other things, it means that you and I are not, we're not alone. We're not just left as orphans. We're not just, it's not just something that we remember. Oh yeah, that Jesus guy, God came to earth some 2,000 years ago. Isn't that a nice story? We can sing songs and clap our hands and go on. No, it's practical and it's relevant because he's here now, right? He is present. He has come to live with us now and to live in us now to empower us to even befriend us. He calls his followers friends, not just disciples. We can know his presence. We don't have to be alone. All right, second uh, thing is it's just a reminder again that God cares. Not only is he with us, but he loves us. He's crazy about us. He cares. He's present. Again, when I was thinking about it this week, just thinking of God choosing to send Jesus and Jesus choosing to come to earth. You think, what was he being sent into? Was it going to be a nice little experience for him? Was Jesus coming to earth going to be a nice little experience for him? No, it's going to cost him his life. It's going to cost him dearly. And yet he chose to do it. Why? Because he loves you. John three sixteen, probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, puts it this way, for God so loved the world. Who's the world? It's us, right? For God so loved you and me and us that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why did he come? He did it because he loved you. Romans takes it a step further and puts it this way. What then shall we say in response to these things, in in response to God giving his son? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, here Paul is saying that if God loved you enough to send his own son to die for you, to give you life, if he loved you that much, then nothing else could ever possibly keep him from loving you now. It's just a picture of how crazy God is about you. Max Lucado, I love this. I've, I've shared this once before uh, as well, but Max Lucado has this great quote. He says, this, he says, there are so many reasons that God saves you to bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he's fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be inside. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunset every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and yet he chose your heart. And the Christmas gift that he sent you in Bethlehem, face it, friends, he's crazy about you. Imagine coming to the manger, realizing that the creator of the universe chose to be sent down for you because he loves you that much. Imagine seeing the creator of the world lying in a barn in a feed trough and think about him choosing that for you. 
God with us, God coming down reminds us of just how much God cares for us. Third thing, uh, and this is maybe not quite as intuitive as the others, but uh, the Emmanuel, God being with us, uh, reminds us that God understands our struggles. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Listen to this. For we did not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. No, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is actually pretty amazing stuff. It really is. We don't have a a God or a Savior or an Emmanuel who is out of touch, who can't relate to us. But we have a God who came to earth in human form. The God who is with us understands our weakness. He understands temptation. He understands how we feel. He gets the way we think, the things that we are lured by. He knows what it's like to feel hungry, to experience pain or loss. He knows and he understands our struggle. He gets the mess that we live in. He's not some aloof God who is watching from a distance, but instead he understands where we live. In Luke, the angel proclaims that uh, you'll find this baby born in a barn, wrapped in rags, and lying in a manger. It's how you'll know it's the, the Messiah. It's how you'll know it's Jesus. And I th- was thinking about it again this week and just thinking, man, how ironic it is to think about that. God being born in a barn. God lying in a feed trough. Sometimes when we see nativity scenes, uh, like in the mall or in our homes or whatever, they're all like nice and white and polished and right sparkly. They look like they just, uh, the, the, the uh, shepherds look like they just had their uh, robes pressed and stuff, right? I mean, everything looks all squeaky clean, but that's not how barns are, right? Any of us grow up on farms? Any of us been in barns before? Are barns like known for uh, as a place of great hygiene and are they all like soft scrubbed and real nice and smooth and stuff? No, barns are places where animals live, right? There's poop there. There's everything imaginable. It is not a nice place. It's not a kind of place that you'd want to have a baby. They're messy, right? They're dirty. They smell bad. That's the way they are. And to think of God choosing to come down and be born in some place like that, I don't know, it messes with me a little bit. An actual barn. The angel says that the fact that Jesus ended up in a barn is not just a mere accident. It's sort of a tip-off, the angel says. It's the dead giveaway that Jesus was no ordinary king. Here's the clue, right? You can recognize him because he will show up in the messiest place imaginable. He won't have power or money. There will be no fanfare or applause, no newspapers, no headlines. Born in a barn, wrapped in rags, surrounded by animals, uh, entrusted to a poverty-stricken couple. The king of the universe enters into human history in a little bundle, wrapped in obscurity and poverty and humility, because this is Jesus' signature, because there's no place that he won't go, because there's nothing he won't do, because there are no depths that he will not descend to in order to bring God's power and presence and love and grace and peace to anybody that'll have him. 
This will be a sign about Jesus that you'll find him in messy places. I've talked about it before at one point, but man, the reason this is good news is because we're messy people, aren't we? We make messes of our own. <laughs> and uh, if you don't believe that, you should, you should journal, <laughs> right? Because we make messes all the time. It doesn't take long. We can look back and see mistakes we've made. We can see ways we've blown it. We can see ways that we've screwed up. We're messy people. We live in a messy world. And sometimes I think we're tempted to think that we've got to get our messes all cleaned up before we can come back to God, before we can get right with him. We've got to kind of get ourselves all squeaky clean and looking like those uh, manger scenes in the mall or something before God will accept us. But it's just not true. It's just not true at all. God wants us just the way we are, mess and all. It's, it's into that kind of world, that the Christ, that the Emmanuel steps into this world. And it's in the same way he steps into our lives just where he is. And it doesn't matter if, there are relation, if our relational world is a mess. It doesn't matter if there are uh, sins and mistakes and junk and addictions that uh, have plagued our lives and made our world very messy. It's not something that you have to get all your stuff in order first before God will accept you, before you can come back to God. No, Jesus steps into that mess and he says, will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you do your day and your life with me and let me fill you and empower you and show you a better way to live? There's something amazing about a God who is with us even in the mess that is able to flip things right side up, that is able to redeem and restore things to how they were always meant to be in our lives and will fill us and empower us and lead us out of our mess into something better. God didn't just come to be with us and snap his fingers and say, get your act together, get your stuff together, I'm gonna blast you. No, he says, I've come to be with you wherever you're at. Now come and follow me. Now come and live your life with me. I'll tell you what. You know what I think God desires from us this Christmas season? You know what I think God desires from us every day of our lives? The thing that I think brings a smile to God's face more than anything else is for us to finally get it and say, you know what? You know what? I am a mess on my own. God, I've made a mess of things time and time and time again, but I want you. I want to follow you. I want to live with you. I want to walk with you. I want to hear from you. I want to be filled. With, I want to be consumed with you. Now show me how to live. How can we do this day together? How can I live my life with you? When we turn to him, when we just lift a finger like that, we, we all of a sudden can connect with the Emmanuel, the God that was there all along, but we didn't recognize him. The God that was there, that's there, that's ready to come into our lives and fill us and lead us and guide us and bring about good even out of the messiest situations. I think nothing brings God more pleasure all right, so because of the Emmanuel, we can have confidence, right, that we can come and find grace and forgiveness and strength, that he is present with us because of the Emmanuel. So God with us means that we are not alone. It means that God cares deeply. It means that we have a God that, that understands and is compassionate towards our weakness and struggles in our own messy lives. And the fourth one, just real quick, 
is uh, so that you and I can see and know God. There was a guy a number of years ago, did 60 Minutes. His name was Harry Reasoner, and he read a piece about Christmas on the air one time. And he said this, he said, listen, listen to the segment. He says, the basis for this tremendous burst of gift buying and parties and near hysteria is a quiet event that Christians believe actually happened some 2,000 years ago. If you come back to the central fact of that day and the quietness of that first Christmas morning, it's the birth of God on earth. If this is the anniversary of the appearance of our Lord, uh, the Lord of the universe in the form of a helpless babe, then it is a very important day for all of us. It's a startling idea, of course. The whole idea uh, that a virgin was selected by God to, to bear his son as a way of showing his love and concern for man. It's so revolutionary a thought that it probably could only have come from a God that's beyond logic and beyond theology. It's a magnific- it has a magnificent appeal. Almost nobody has ever seen God, and almost nobody has any real idea of what he's like. And the truth is that among men, the idea of seeing God suddenly standing in a very bright light is not necessarily a completely comforting or appealing idea. But everybody has seen a baby, and most everybody loves him. If God wanted to be loved as well as feared, if God wanted to show himself to the world and allow them to get to know him, then he moved correctly. So it comes beyond logic. It's either a falsehood or the truest thing in the world. It's the story of the great innocence of God the baby. God in the power of a man has such a dramatic shock toward the heart that if it is not true to Christians, then nothing is true. So if a person is touched only once a year, the touching is still worth it. And maybe on some given Christmas, some final quiet morning, that touch will take. The touch of God coming into the world as a vulnerable baby. Friends, God came to show himself to us. He came as a baby, as a human, so that you and I could come to see and know the Father. Jesus himself tells us this uh, in John 14, 7 and 9, says this, if you really know me, he tells his followers, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. He goes on and says, anyone who has seen me has seen who? The Father. Who's the Father? God, right? Has seen God himself. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And Hebrews 1.3 puts it this way about Jesus. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. I have come so that you can see what God is like. I've come to reveal the living God to you. I am the Emmanuel. I am God in your midst. Look at my heart, Jesus says. Look at my actions. Listen to my teaching, and you can see the Father. Look at the way that I love. Look at the compassion and grace, the forgiveness. Look at the truth that I speak. Warning to guide you into the best life possible. I am Emmanuel, God with you. Friends, God with us means that as we look to Jesus and as we come to know him and as we study his life and teachings, that we can see and come to know the Father as well. This is God's Christmas present to us. He sent the Emmanuel, God, to be with us even when we can't see it, even when we don't feel it, it's true. He sent Jesus so that you and I don't ever have to be alone. He sent Jesus so that you and I can know how precious we are to God, that you can know that you matter to him more than anything else. He thinks you're worth dying for. 
God sent Jesus so that you would know that God understands and is willing to help you even in the messiest parts of our lives. And finally, God sent Jesus so that we could see and know the Father. The gift that the Emmanuel came to bring to us is relationship with the living God. He came so that we, he could live with us and be in us so that we could walk with God. And I'm not talking about some stale religion or rules or whatever. We're talking about really knowing God, walking with God, being filled with God. This is God's Christmas gift to you. It's what he desires for all of us. It's how life is meant to be. It's life to the full. It is a life of fulfillment and joy and peace and freedom and hope. All the things that we read in the Bible today are fulfilled as we come to find that relationship with Jesus. But just like in that painting that we talked about at the beginning, he waits for your response. He has come 99.999% of the way and he waits for your response. Do you want him? (laughs) Do you want to live in relationship to God? Do you need him and recognize your need for him in your own life? In your own life? Friends, let's not get so distracted by the frantic, franticness of Christmas that we miss out on what it's really all about. God coming to us. I don't know where you're at with God today. I'm not sure uh, specifically how he might be speaking, but the one thing I do know is that this is what he wants for us. He's, he's come to be with us and to be in us. And my hope is that we as a church, we as individuals would have hearts that are wide open, that would prepare him room, right? That would open up and say, God, I need you and I want you. I want to do my life with you. Forgive me. I make messes all the time. Would you come in to my life and my heart? Would you cleanse me? Would you make me clean? Would you lead me and guide me and be my God? Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you do offer and bring relationship to us, that you came as the Emmanuel, the God in our midst. And Lord, I pray that we would not miss you this season, but that we would be able to stop and quiet our own hearts and minds and turn Godward and lift a finger, so to speak, and experience that connection with you. God, we need you. We want you. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come, Emmanuel. Fill our hearts, fill our lives, fill our families, every part of who we are, Lord. We want to we do with you. Come and have your way. Help us not to miss you this season, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.